Welcome to the Lodge. You've accessed the LodgeCast experience. Warning, warning. Dangerous spoilers ahead. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to a down-home southern episode of the Lockdown Hot Takes. I'm your Lodge Master. With me as always is Brother Bishki. Howdy. And Brother Lucas. Never knock me down, Ray. Never knock me down. And Lucas, you are here talking about this movie tonight on your goddamn motherfucking birthday. Happy birthday oh, to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you um, happy birthday. Thank you, Lodgecast Brothers. I appreciate it. I, there's no other place I'd rather be right now. I'm glad I'm alive and well and here to uh, chop this up with you all. Bishki, what did we get him for his birthday? <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, we are in the midst of a prestige season. We are covering a movie tonight <laughs> called Hillbilly Elegy, one of the most prestigious films of the year. So we wanted to get a prestigious gift for our brother, Lucas. What he's going to be receiving <laughs> via email in the morning is a year-long subscription to the Criterion channel. Oh, wow. Oh, oh my God. Beer, thank, beer, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much. Love yes. and light to, <laughs> to you all. That is like, oh, my God. You're you're all mind readers because I've been, I've been uh, like, wanting to get a Criterion subscription during this lockdown. It's outstanding. It's outstanding. Because I've watched everything else, and I need to just do a deep dive into the uh, the catalog of my blind spots. Like, like, like a Cinefessional, I've never seen one Tarakovsky movie. So yeah. uh, I'd like to Tarkovsky. Yeah, I'd like to go, go down go down that road and many other roads. But thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm very blessed and grateful, and I can't wait to uh, report back on all on all my titles. It's all student features on there. So <laughs> yeah, get ready to call it out. Just to tie it in, you know that um, today's feature will most likely. Well, I don't know. Netflix has an output deal with Criterion for their physical media. <laughs> So hillbilly criteria. That's right. Come on. Come on, people. That beautiful, beautiful velvety voice you're hearing is none other than our guest tonight, Brother Ben. Hello. hello. Welcome, Ben. Hey, hey, hey. This is Netflix prestige all the way down to the bone. It is hillbilly elegy based on a book that I've never read. And (laughs) we'll never read. Who here has read the book? I listened to the audio book. I stopped it. Okay. I stopped it probably halfway through. I was pretty bored with it. Um, <laughs> it was, the writing was kind of lousy. I thought it was the reason it was a bestseller is because it came out in 2016 and it was kind of mm. right before Trump won. And the it was kind of a way for liberals to be like, okay, how do we understand this white working class voter? And it just took off as a bestseller. Right. Take us inside the mind. But. It was just kind of this dude and his mom and his grandma living living in southern Ohio, and it's just kind of vignettes from his life. And I was I knew there at, at the time I was listening to it, I knew they were adapting it into a film. So I was like, mm, right. "There's no story here. There's no arc. There's no narrative." <laughs> and, and then I found out Ron Howard was attached. I was like, "We are in big trouble, folks." Yes. And so that's what we, we get that Ron Howard Imagine Entertainment logo on the beginning, <laughs> which is so rare. So as we do oft times on this podcast, when we're encountering a major director that we haven't really 
dealt with before. We need to briefly touch on our Ron Howard feelings and our history with Ron Howard. So what's what's the general temperature in here? You, you guys backdraft fans and then you cool off over time or what's the deal? Where are we with Ron Howard? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of had Bishke's reaction in that whatever Ron Howard is attached to, at least in modern era, you know, let's say uh, post uh, Apollo 13 onwards, it, sure, it's, u- sure. it's usually not a very exciting announcement or attachment. Like, I'm not excited to see a Ron Howard uh, film as I was like as a, as a kid. I think growing up like Splash, Willow, even Parenthood, I yeah. might add, because I love Steve Martin. Oh, I, yeah. I love that cast in general. Love like, Parenthood. W- like it works for me. And those are the movies I keep going back to and returning to. But anything, yeah, after I would say Apollo 13, it it, it feels it's it's more like it's his hobby, you know? It's like he he is blandly competent. Yeah, he's sturdy and he's a studio hack journeyman, but he has real like no taste or vision and he doesn't really take risks. Um, he's, yeah, he's pretty, uh, milquetoast for me. Brother Ben, Ron Howard. That's, that's, that is exactly correct. That it, like, that's I, it. Apollo 13 is sort of the line in the sand, you know, mm-hmm. love, lo- like childhood loved Willow, parenthood, all that shit. But sure. yeah, it's, it's the wilderness, man. It's yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to head on down to that wilderness. 1997 Kentucky is where we start in this film. And I'll tell you, like once that score and that narration, the narration kicked in, I, that's when I knew we were in huge trouble. Yes. Like just the way that the narrator, our ostensible hero, clearly and crisply says, mamma and papa. <laughs> I, it, it just couldn't possibly ring more false right out of the gate for me. So, I mean, what what did you guys think when you were confronted with this narration, this this wistful down home narration? <laughs> Agreed. No, I, I felt right off the bat that uh, this this felt very flat and kind of like an ABC Family uh, freeform yes. joint or something. Like, and and in the, I thought the cold open in general was pretty like lackluster. Like to to have like your yeah. let's just throw throw the audience in you know to this time and place or whatever i don't know it just it didn't seem real to me it just felt a little uh, light little little too light yeah well and can we talk about how uh i think i believe it's the first non-narrative narrative uh, or non-narrator dialogue is something about like jd don't go running down to that water and hole you'll you know get a cotton mouth yeah. bite or something and uh, everyone on twitter has pointed out there are no cotton mouths <laughs> in appalachia that's like a florida thing uh, yeah so i mean just like right off the bat it is just all of this fake yeah like, you're you're hillbilly. doing like southern low-income cosplay in like hillbilly land in disney world but i i stepped back and i was like listen there's a reason that this movie got made. I got to try to bring love and light to it. Maybe I'm just being salty because I just had grandma and grandpa instead of moo moo and pee pops. And I'm just, I'm just attacking this without, without merit. But, ooh, it just makes it so hard to love it. Because when Amy Adams comes on screen, <laughs> like, Lodge Mistress and I are always delighted when actresses like her or actors very consciously try to dirty it up. 
like like she did in Sharp Objects or like Rachel McAdams did in True Detective season two, when they're obviously so far outside of their comfort zone and they're probably doing it for awards. Mm-hmm. And so when when Amy Adams bursts out of that house in her bunched up denim romper, I I literally clapped. I was clapping in recognition of just like a craven awards grab here. Yeah, yeah, it was best best actress nominee for sure. And we got our best suppo- <laughs> and we got our best supporting nod to uh, Mama oh. Ma, Ma, Mama 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 Mama. Got to pronounce it right, Mama. <laughs> Glenn Close. And I oh, Glenn. I couldn't put my finger on, maybe you guys can do it better, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what she looked like. What do you think? Um, she looked like, do you remember Maxine, the salty old lady from the greeting cards in the 90s? Yeah, I, I'll Google yes. it and send it. Okay, Maxine, okay. yeah, it's a cartoon. Mixed with Beavis from Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. Like elderly Beavis. And she is clearly swinging for those Albert Knobs awards. Like she is, she's got some sort of at least skin prosthetic going on. Like something's way up. And she's got these giant glasses and she is just fully immersed in this moonshiner cosplay. And it must be stated, like this is going to loom large over this entire episode. Amy Adams has been nominated for an Academy Award six times with no wins. Glenn motherfucking close has been nominated seven times with no wins. So this is a double barrel attack. Yeah. Full on blitzkrieg looking for those awards. Shotgun. Yeah. And (laughs) they're just sniffing around for truffles down in the holler. And it is, it is very tough to watch. It's very tough to watch because this, this, they came to play. Like, I love these two actors, but, but the script. Ugh. Yeah, script and but, but like, that, that's the thing is like Amy Adams is at 11 at all times. Yes, and all just, times. And there's no, oh, man. Yeah, there's it, no ca- calibration. There's no texture. At least. Glenn Close is doing like white Medea or something like that, you know? (laughs) Precisely. Precisely. And that at least is entertaining as fuck to watch because like... It is. Yeah. But Amy Adams is just screaming like the whole time. Yeah. I don't think think they were directed at all. I think Ron was just like, they were all having, you know, their their salads for lunch. And he's just like, go for it, guys. Like, whatever you want to do. You teach me about this movie, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, think that's what really I, I, I realized quickly early on that, uh, this reminded me like, cause yeah, I, I showed you guys, I, I, I wrote notes on a in and out burger post-it. Um, and, <laughs> there and, they are, yeah. and basically cause, cause I was, I was definitely drinking and smoking while I was watching it. So I was writing down, Good. uh, mainly titles of other films that came to mind while I was watching this. Like what was Ron Howard going for? And the first film I wrote down, that immediately leapt out at me was a 1980 film, Mommy Dearest, starring Faye Dunaway. Oh, yeah. Which was about yep. Joan Crawford, who was a Hollywood actress in the 1950s, who was just 
uh, a full tilt like lunatic on a scale of one to ten she was a ten just like amy adams is so there's like like a lot of scenes in the early yeah. going where Ad- amy adams is recalling to my mind you know uh joan crawford or faye dunaway in that movie just like no wire coat hangers ever like every scene and she's She's emboldened by the layers of her hillbilly cosplay to go even bigger to show you that she's a force to be reckoned with here. But without modulating that, it's just insane. Like, how how can you get on her page at all? <laughs> it's 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 literally impossible. That, that That's the thing. This is the first time. Like, I've seen Amy Adams in bad movies before, but I've always thought there's at least like a spark or a glimmer of something really good there. This is like, she's not good in this. She's this is yeah. a bad performance. <laughs> Agreed. So uh, a little bit about the story. You know, we jump ahead 14 years to 2011. So we find our, our narrator, J.D., in prime <laughs> romance and age. And this dude, J.D., as directed, I, I mean, the actor, who knows what he had to go through. The, 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 the actor is Gabriel Basso, who I felt did not do well. He, he was not great. He is like if light store brand cream cheese was a person. And that's our hero. Yeah, he's, he's not very likable. I mean, I, I found early on, I was like, this is not the guy. In that opening scene, like he, he has a scene with, was it Frida Pinto, I think? And then, but then, yeah. then he goes to a dinner and they're just like, we need to like emphasize how, how much the, the cliches of the class difference, you know, are. And he, and there's this dinner scene where he's looking at forks. <laughs> it's like a networking it's, dinner. And it's a scene right out of Titanic. And it's like, dude, we've seen Titanic, bro. You should have seen Titanic <laughs> in the real world in this movie. So like, you shouldn't be confused because Titanic made a billion dollars and I know your ass saw it. <laughs> he doesn't know which forks to use. He's freaking out. Everybody around him is speaking at this high level, but the dialogue is so bad that they all may as well just be saying business, business, high level business. <laughs> yeah. like, it's so stupid. And he and his and his girlfriend, Frida Pinto, are so annoying. In the back of my head, I was like, I was I've watched so many fucking horror movies. I was comforted that soon the creature was going to start terrorizing <laughs> them. But then I remembered, oh, shit, this is just a straight up drama. But, so. but that scene was very telling because it may I've never read the book, but it made J.D. Vance as like a law school applicant or you know law school graduate whatever like so gross because he had this like <laughs> this no he had this like toxic masculinity where he call he gets up from the dinner uh, like offended that they're richer and smarter than him and like calls his girlfriend and is like bitching to her about how he doesn't know which fork to use and he's like mad like he's he's like it's like so much white fucking privilege it makes me ill it's like <laughs> Why am I watching this? Like, why do I care about this schmuck? There's a few different ways and avenues to get mad at this. And we're hitting it from all sides. (laughs) So he soon finds out that his mom, Amy Adams, has just OD'd on heroin. And then it just begins this, like, flashback structure, which was so detrimental to any sort of pace or anything that that would keep momentum going in this movie. It just ping pongs all over the place. Mm -hmm. We go back to when he's a kid and 
There's a scene where Amy Adams wants him to turn off the TV so she can hear Whitney Houston better. And she turns she turns off the TV where Al Gore's talking to put it in, in the time period. And JD says, Come on, mom, I'm watching Gore. And <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that phrase has been uttered anywhere on earth, especially not Kentucky. But anyway, his mom has just OD'd on heroin. And then he has to drive back to Kentucky even though he's got a big meeting in the morning. And that's, that is the big dramatic crux of the entire movie is if he's going to go back <laughs> properly console his mother. He needs, but a good, also, he needs a good night's sleep before his job interview. <laughs> like what? That That's it. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. At least in the present tense time period. So we flash back to fill in the blanks of, of their history, supposedly. And... Amy Adams is like up and down. She's manic. She's loving. And then she's crazy. And there's a scene that's particularly unfortunate where she takes her son to a sports card store that they get kicked out of. But she steals the cards that he wanted. And it slams into this local H music cue. And the the music cues in this movie are great, at least Mm -hmm. in the 90s, I have to say. Yeah. Like, they go off the beaten path of the soundtrack, exactly the opposite of, like, Robert Zemeckis' (laughs) stock 60s from The Witches. So they're they're driving in the car, and JD says something that riles Mama up, which kicks off... I mean, it's a salad drinking candidate. But <laughs> this is what I wrote down. She starts going bonkers in the car, starts speeding, and then wailing on JD and chasing him in a teal windbreaker like a backwoods T-1000. <laughs> and I think it was meant to be, like, harrowing, but it's hilarious. Yeah. And that's a big problem with a movie like this. And that the little JD, I mean, we talked about the big JD actor the little JD actor, who I don't know who his name is, he's just a chump. He's just like kind of a, a pu- <laughs> he's just a pudgy chump. He's running into things. He's like knocking over his mom's Easter eggs. Like he's not. He's supposed oh, to be a chump man. too. Like yeah. he plays oh, well. The scene but. where he gets a puppy from the mom's boyfriend and Ooh. the puppy like pees in the house and Amy <laughs> Adams has her first outburst. It's like, oh. And they go dog's eye view across the floor, <laughs> yes. like really weird dog POV that they would have thought was novel, like back in the 60s, like doing a shot like that. Oh, man. But now it's just like, Why? you can just see Ron Howard, too, just being like, I think it'd be kind of neat if we see things from a dog's eye view, you know, <laughs> this crazy family all around you just yelling at you. You know what I mean? It's the, like the audience. No, he's trying to squeeze any drama he can out of any scene. So it's like if he can get Amy Adams yeah. yelling, or you yeah. know, or or um, Mer- um, no, not Mer- uh, uh, Glenn Close yelling, Glenn. and and so I I thought it was like I kind of called it uncut gems for rednecks. Like he was just how <laughs> that's good. how can I make this just that's very good drama to the you know, 11th degree and there's no drop. There's nothing behind it. There's just, yeah. Bishki in regards to uncut gems, the other titles I scribbled down were this movie wants so bad to be this boy's life. Uh, precious mm-hmm. based on the novel push by Sapphire yes. by Sapphire mm-hmm. and yes. the fighter. 
Um, yeah. And, and these are all great films in their own way because they do make you feel things. You catch feels watching those aforementioned movies. And by and large, I mean, with the exception of Precious, perhaps most of those aforementioned movies are linear. So it gives mm-hmm. you more of a hook to hang your hat on. Whereas this, the, this should have been linear. The, the jumping through time, it's like I, then you really just checked out because you don't care. It really becomes this episodic. Well, what is the point of this story besides you know my family's yeah. crazy and loving or whatever? Well, and further down the line, you see very plainly why they jumped around so much, and we'll get to that. But. It is just scene after scene where they're trying to bring the drama as high as possible. But when everything looks so funny and sounds so funny, it has the opposite effect. Yeah. So we see Papa pass away in a flashback. They're driving in a hearse. We see a bunch of salt of the earth folk solemnly taking their hats off and holding them to their chests. And little JD turns to Mama and says, why do they do that, Mama? And Glenn says, Because we're hill people, honey. We respect our dead. We respect (laughs) our dead. (laughs) Which immediately reminded me of Mike Myers' Lothar of the Hill People from Saturday Night Live. But that's neither here nor there. But Glenn's, Glenn's funeral fashion, she kind of arrives after everybody else. Glenn's funeral fashion ensemble can only be described as Janis Joplin yard sale couture. (laughs) Like, she is just balls to the wall in this. And again, she's amazing, but you got to put the right words in her mouth. You got to give her the right shit to do, you know? Like, it's it's the saddest thing in the world to see such a world-class actor rolling around in the dirt like this. Yeah, it's like in service of what? It's like all fire and fury signifying nothing. It's all sizzle and no steak. It's so interesting to me, though, that like Glenn is, I mean, I don't know what the, like, I I think Amy Adams is also a great actress, but at least Glenn is given this terrible shit. But she can at (laughs) least like redeem it somehow. Like, I don't know if it's just pure charisma you know, shining through the prosthetics and the terrible. Gravitas. Yeah. Like yeah. she does something with it and you can't really take your eyes off of her, but it's, you cannot, it's still a fucking train wreck. It ain't right. Yeah. We see glimpses of uh, Amy's descent into pill addiction. She steals her patient's meds at the hosp- at her hospital nursing job, which leads us to the undeniable salad Undeniable drink. salad drink. The Salad Dragon. A scene in a movie that is so bizarre, baffling, or transcendent that it instantly justifies the price of admission. Or Reese Witherspoon's leafy transformation in A Wrinkle in Time. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) She, She gulps down a pill that she steals from a patient, and then she heads into the break room where she notices a co-worker's pair of roller skates. <laughs> and in a doped up euphoric haze, she insists on trying them on as like her co-workers are like looking at each other, just kind of worried like, uh. and she's like, can I try them out? And her co-worker who has the skates is like, well, where are you going to go? Boom, hard cut, bananarama, cruel summer needle drop. <laughs> and she's zooming around the hospital hallways in these on these roller skates but the music has this weird like dark reverb added so you yeah, know it's yeah. meant to be troubling <laughs> 
It's like Cruel Summer Dismal Remix. And, uh, Cruel yeah. Summer. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's meant to be, like, troubling, but it's just, it's so funny. It's yeah. so funny. But it's supposed to be the saddest thing in the universe. Yeah, so, that salad dragon hit me hard. That's where this movie exists. It's trying 100% for one thing, but it's achieving 100% in the other direction. And if you're drinking enough and smoking enough, that can be a very entertaining time. So, uh, you know, we're flashing back and forth. We meet Amy Adams in 2011 time, and she's as salty as ever. And, you know, again, the main dilemma in the movie is, is this guy going to get back for his interview for an internship? That's our stakes, guys. What are we supposed to do with it? Like, why? How, how are you hanging a movie on that? I don't it's get tough. It. It's really tough. And I definitely was like confused or perplexed, like why this package came together, like what why it was so important. And, and I know you touched upon it at the beginning where, yeah, this was supposed to get inside the mind of the Trump voter or whatever. So, yeah, it was 2017 when the book was optioned and Ron Howard hired Vanessa Taylor, who was just coming off The Shape of Water, who, which he co-wrote. To adapt to adapt it, and I I have to kind of put like a lot of the blame on 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 Miss Taylor because she's the one you know pitching Imagine Entertainment saying okay I read the book this is how I see it it's going to be jumping back and forth in between the past and the present leading up to this interview and Ron Howard and Brian Grazer are like okay great that sounds great <laughs> and when you start watching it yeah like it, it there's like really like not much at stake. And then when you start to kind of get into a scene, it just abruptly ends and it goes back to another time period. So it's completely disorienting. Like it, it's hot and cold, like throughout, like it's, it's tough. Completely. It's really tough. Well, and I think the other thing like that we're missing here is the, the book was basically explicitly political. Like, uh, right. It, it ended up being like, Yes, to liberals, like how to get inside the mind of the Trump voter, but also J.D. Vance, you know, is a hardcore conservative. He identifies as a nationalist, you know, like he's yeah. making hard, he's, he's making hardcore points in the book. But Ron Howard specifically said, well, I, he wants none of yeah, it. Yeah, he, he straight up said my goal was to make a non-political movie. And I just don't understand how you can take Hillbilly Elegy, an explicitly political book, and then try to depoliticize it. You, like, you can't do it. And so, like, right. the weird phantom reactionary politics are still there. But I, but even if they had leaned into it, I feel like there would have been more drama there. Like, Of give, course. Give me some, Automatically. Yeah, give me some Dinesh D'Souza's screeds about, uh, <laughs> about health care. About, because that's yeah. the other thing is there's all this stuff about trying to get mom into rehab, but she doesn't have insurance. But we, like, yep. tip, we tiptoe away from that because... Opie doesn't want to have the conversation about healthcare and he wants insurance. the movie to be as beige as possible mm -hmm. and he will not deviate from that. Yeah. But <laughs> soldiering forth. So I wrote down that thing about comparing Amy Adams to T1000 at a certain point. And then lo and behold, there's a scene where JD and Mama are watching Terminator 2 in the movie. And it leads to an extended conversation about good Terminators and bad Terminators. Mama even says, hasta la vista, baby, in it. Hasta la vista, baby. 
Yep. <laughs> so I really felt at that point that, you know, the movie and I, we had our differences, but on an unquantifiable mystical spiritual level, we were vibing together. It was like a dream come true to see, to watch Glenn Close watch Terminator 2 in a movie. Wait, was that the scene too where she like interrupts it with all this like really fussy actorly business where she saunters over and gets a Mentos and starts yes. sucking on a Mentos? Yes. So I like, yep. I, that she, is the she's keeping busy. ham and cheese and I am here for it. <laughs> <laughs> so JD is like hemming and hawing about telling his girlfriend about his mom ODing on heroin, which is also completely annoying. It's just like, just tell her. Like he gets mad at her and like everything about everything about his character is just completely annoying to me at all ages, which is a which is a great feat. So it keeps flashing around. And, you know, it, I get that they're trying to weave a multi-generational American quilt, but just tell a linear tale. Does anybody tell a linear tale anymore in the movies? <laughs> I know. Does that tough. even happen anymore? It's tough, man. And if they do have linear tales, it's like two stories happening simultaneously that they cross cut between. It's never Ugh. just like straightforward stuff. Just tell a fucking story, people. Yeah. Build, build tension. Build it. When you're going back and forth, you have no idea where you are in the narrative. So I probably no. I probably checked the time like at least a dozen times. I was like, <laughs> sure. Uh, where are we? Where are we? Do I have do I have a do I have ten minutes left? Do I have an hour left? <laughs> like, you don't know. And what's crazy about that Bishki is when it did end finally with his fucking intern interview. I was like, wait, 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 wait. That that's it. Like, it just. <laughs> It just ended like that's the movie like that's where it was going. That's where we're at. Like I felt like it was anticlimactic or I felt cheated even more somehow where I don't know what I was anticipating, but for it to end in such a bland, yeah, like retro cheesy manner. I was just like, no way, dude. No fucking way. There is a moment where seven time Academy Award nominee Glenn Close utters the line. Kiss my ruby red asshole. Kiss my ruby red asshole. When did all this happen? <laughs> Let that sink in. Uh, there's another hot needle drop, My Boo by the Ghost Town yes. DJs. Amazing song. Represent. You might not know it by name, but your ears know it. At night, I think of you. Oh, yeah. I want to be your lady, maybe. Like, hats off to the music supervision on this. Amy Adams marries a guy who has a casino poster up in his wall. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Good taste. Oh Very God. good taste. I had a casino poster up on my wall when I was in, like, middle school. I had one up on my ceiling so I ooh, could look ooh, at it at the night. ceiling poster. No one stays on top forever. So... Uh, Mama is suffering in the in the hospital with pneumonia and she realizes, you know, JD's just not being raised right. So she she leaves the hospital on her own accord, barges into JD's new room in her in his mom's boyfriend's house. JD's in there smoking dope with his with his buddy and he hides the bong. And that's when seven-time Academy Award nominee Glenn Close utters the line, Oh, I don't give a rat fart what you're smoking, kid. If you think you're hiding it, honey, you're dumb as a bag of hair. <laughs> so in the back half of this movie, Glenn starts exerting her dominance. And yeah. the rubber hits the road for a while because she's, she's given a chance to, you know, the movie kind of settles into her 
character in one time period and she can dig in a little bit. And I, I really started accepting the movie for a while while she was on screen trying to raise J.D. Wright. That's the movie. You're slapping around. It should have been the whole movie. You're slapping Glenn Close, slapping around J.D. and trying to get him to behave like that's the movie. Slap the shit out of him. This is where I point out, though, this is like peak Glenn Close as white Medea. And all I could think about was I've seen Tyler Perry do this shit before where, you know, Medea has to go school her naughty nephews and nieces. Can you fucking imagine Tyler Perry's hillbilly elegy? That's the shit (laughs) I wanted to see. That's the movie. Yeah. That's the fucking movie. Oh, my God. You're making my mouth water just thinking about that. So uh, <laughs> there's a scene in a radio shack where JD, he's he's failing math and he's thinking about stealing a calculator. He's got to get that TI-82. Yeah, got to get That's the graphic right. calculator, yeah. <laughs> and Save Tonight by Eagle-Eyed Cherry can faintly be heard over the speakers again. Oh, I missed that. No, I heard that. Choice selections. Oh. It's very, very faint. But after he steals the calculator, then he gets the best grades in the class. It's like the calculator was like the key. <laughs> like, wait, way to solve that, guys. Like, you don't need to study more. You just need the calculator. And we get a montage of JD learning to apply himself. There's a scene where he shows his mama the math test, which I thought was genuinely touching. And then we, f- <sighs> again, like just just as we're building up momentum, we flash forward and Amy gets her big motel bathroom heroin freakout scene. And, you know, like, sure, if you're going to do that, fine. But if you just keep f- airdropping us into these different time periods, you can't build up emotion. You know, it just doesn't work. And what the point is of all of this cutting back and forth is that Mama dies in the middle of like the linear story. And they want Mama to die toward the end. That's it. That's the only reason you would ever fracture this narrative. And when you realize that, it makes it even more unfortunate. Like, do you, do you guys think that that's the case? Because Mama would die in the middle if they were to tell it linearly. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have, and, and all that present day shit is so boring and just all around t- like you have no Glenn Close in the modern day. So you have to like, she is literally the only thing worth watching, you know, like making this thing yeah. chug along. And then JD heads home <laughs> to, to try to get to his, uh, his interview for the internship. And the ending just turns into like an unholy combo of climaxes from the secret dare to dream and Elizabeth town <laughs> and like, all these other movies where it's just like this fucking milk toast kid we're supposed to give a shit about is slowly learning to be a lawyer. <laughs> like what? Like who gives a shit? Who gives a shit about this guy? So they cap it all off with a cheese with more cheese ball narration. And then to connect it with especially the fighter and a bunch of other movies where actors make huge choices that may look absurd they show you the real people that the movie's based on in the credits. So mm-hmm. you see Mama, and she looks exactly like Glenn Close and yeah. how Glenn Close is styled. Uncanny. Dead on. Uncanny. Give yeah. it give it a best makeup, because that is Mama. <laughs> and, you know, 
what what I think that is for cynically, but it always bears out. It's to show people, you know, if you're watching the whole movie and you're like, uh, Glenn Close kind of looks completely ridiculous, but you you enjoy your performance, then they give you that that little push at the end where it's like, yeah, she's ridiculous, but she's right on point ridiculous. So please give me an award. Yeah. It's the same with like Andrew Garfield and his weird speaking voice in Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know if you guys saw that one. Did but see the that, whole yeah. movie, he's just he's he's like, I will go to the front lines. And you're like, wait, what why are you talking like that? And then at the end, they not only show the guy, but you hear him speak for a while as if to say, No, he did it right. Guys, he did it right. <laughs> Give him the award, please. And I think they do it at the end of Lodgecast's favorite Welcome to Marwin as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Marwin, there's some Marwin vibes in this movie. There's some <laughs> there's some Marwin level awkwardness in certain scenes that yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's Marwin Marwin Shadow looms so large mm-hmm. over all prestige feel good event movies. Yeah. And I I couldn't be happier about that. And especially when when the scent of Marwin Town wafts into another movie i i it just it always brings a smile to my face so uh, that's i mean that's kind of it like do you guys have any other uh other points to discuss of this uh this sweet elegy i think I'll, the only thing I, I can remember now is i rewound one moment because i thought for a second like amy adams flashed her uh, vagina there was like some full frontal like nudity but then, no, wow. she, I, I replayed it. She had underwear on, but I was just like double checking because I thought maybe she slipped that in there like a little Harvey Keitel, bad lieutenant nod. <laughs> really wanted that Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that sweet note, let's go to them hillbilly bones. Ooh, I don't I don't know what's going on here. Let's see. Let's start off with that birthday boy. LT, what are your hillbilly bones looking like? Well, I um I struggled with this one. I uh <laughs> I'd heard about it when the trailer dropped and thought like it definitely felt like Oscar bait because of the uh the, the dirtying down of Glenn Close and it looked like Amy Adams put on some weight, you know, to play her character. Um, so I, I had a sense it was going for that that fighter vibe, um, which is also another true story. And yeah, you know, I really wanted to get into it, like with that mommy dearest, you know, this boy's life uh, kind of angle. But it never really got there. It never really it, it wasn't really clear, you know, what the point of it all was besides family's crazy, I guess. And I just kept thinking, yeah, like if this was linear it would probably work a lot better because the the, the, the one movie I wrote down that I, I thought this movie should have been like is the movie Rudy with Sean Astin about uh, mm, a, like mm-hmm. a blue collar working class, like coal miner or not coal miner, steel, steel mill, steel mill like worker who wants to go to Notre Dame college, not only to go to school, but to also play football at Notre Dame. And he's not smart. He's not strong. He's not tall. It's just kind of an outlier. You're five foot nothing. You're a yeah. hundred and nothing. <laughs> yeah. With Charles S. Dutton playing the college janitor slash mentor figure. 
And I thought, wow, that could be Glenn Close. You know, she could be the Charles Dutton and he could be trying to get into college or law school or however you want to frame it. And then you could have him have to like go back home for, you know, Pawpaw's uh, funeral or whatever. Is and, this a live rewrite? I don't, I, not really, not really. But you could like, you could like, build, <laughs> All right. you, could, All right. you could build it better, you know, somehow out of the book, even though I haven't read it. But like with what they got, like I just feel Vanessa Taylor, she should have like said, no, this should just be either the 1990s where he's a boy or it should be present day where he's like a young man. I don't think you should do both because you're diluting your product. You're, you're stomping on it. Like, and it's just not as potent. Like it's just not hitting as hard. Get so, you a movie that won't do both. So I have to give it one bone. I give it one bone for the, the book one and, bone. and for, Glenn, Very nice. for Glenn Close and for Amy Adams. Cause like I can see a concept there that might work, but as is, it doesn't. One gentlemanly bone from the birthday boy. Kind of shocking. Um, shockingly high, that is. All right, let's move on to Brother Bishki. What's going on? I think I think you might have enjoyed this a little bit. That's my guess. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Can I add? I'm sorry. Can I add one last thing? I just yeah. remembered. Um, I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, when I was watching it, I was also confused because I was like, was this initially supposed to be like a studio theatrical movie that Netflix just bought out of charity to like get into the awards business? Or is this a movie that they made? And I looked it up and this is what's crazy. Every stu every studio in town, traditional, like Universal, you know, Fox, Sony, whoever was around back in 2017, they were like, we'll give you 25 million for this, you know, package for the book, for Ron Howard, the whole kit and caboodle. And then Netflix was like, We'll give you forty-five million. Oh man! So they Whoa. made that movie for forty-five million dollars, <laughs> and twenty of that went to Howard Adams and Close. I guarantee oh. you that. I guarantee you they split twenty million three ways. I guarantee it. What a waste! And Eagle Eye Cherry. And Eagle Eye uh, Cherry. That's amazing. So Bishki. What what are your bones looking like? I I don't know where you're coming Amy from. Amy Adams and Glenn Close clearly think they're going to be Oscar nominated for this film, <laughs> but it's not going to happen, folks. The critics are. You not, don't think so? No, nah, the critics are not falling for this. The tomatoes are very low, and twenty five percent critics, eighty two percent audience. Yeah, the audience is interesting to me. What's up with that? I'm I, I'm I'm that? curious. I mean, I'm curious about this audience, but anyway. There's no movie here. There's no movie here. Um, this is these are the amped up vignettes that I read about and in a very overrated memoir, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's this is high drama that did give me a bundle of laughs. And yes. um, I uh, haven't been a fan of Ron Howard's films for 20 years. I hated A Beautiful Mind. He's so mm. Painfully conventional, and uh, but he's starting to turn a corner for me. And uh, uh, and as as the movie went on, corner as a, a kind of well, Zemeckis still I don't know he he hurts in a different way. This one didn't hurt that bad, but I started to turn a corner to getting more enjoyable. This disaster. I'm going to give one and one half bone for the wacky melodrama. <laughs> <laughs> Audiences are loving it, and uh, I had a good time at times. All right. <laughs> One and a half bones from Brother Fishkey. 
Brother Ben, what are you going to do with this? God, we need you, a voice of reason here. You, you guys are making such a compelling case for it. <laughs> and you're like warming up my heart. But mm. you guys, so so I just need the, the one thing I forgot <laughs> to tell you is um, I actually started this on like a Saturday night with Brother Josh. Okay. We made it approximately two and a half minutes in, and he said, you have got to turn this shit off. Turn this shit off. You can watch it on your own. <laughs> Rightfully so. Rightfully so. When that narration kicks in. Love that you boy. Have, you, you, yeah. you have to make a decision. Attaboy, boy, He made a decision. Attaboy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it, Sunday afternoon, it. I watched it by myself, and oh, like I said, oh. like I said, you know, Glenn is bringing it – is it actually a good performance? I don't know. It's an entertaining as fuck performance, but yes, but that's and 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 yes, and the needle drops. Props on Cruel Summer. Props yep. on my boo. Like, but creepy Cruel Summer. If it was normal yes. Cruel Summer, neither here nor there. Creepy Cruel Summer. Yeah, one hundred percent. Opioid induced Cruel Summer. Ooh. Opioid Summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, so. You had me reevaluate, Bishki. You had me reevaluate, but I, I have to go with my gut with what I was originally thinking, and it's a half a bone. It's a half a bone for close. Half a bone. Yeah. Roger Ebert Memorial Half Bone. Correct. Yeah. That's fine. I would hate to see what Roger Ebert would would deal this. I something about it makes me see three stars from Roger yeah, Ebert. Yeah. But I don't yeah. want to besmirch his name. No. So okay. So we got a nice bone spread here. We got a half bone, a bone, and a bone and a half. <laughs> Glenn's great as always. It's true. And this movie had just a goofy charm that kept me wanting to see what was going to happen next. As bad or as fucked up as it was going to be, it kept me guessing. It kept me on board. And, you know, not every movie can do that. I can't say that about everything. So before I render my bones, I need to bring up something that happens at the very end. You know, some turmoil that I went through. And see if you guys are picking up what I'm laying down or if you think I'm just being nitpicky and unfair. But we get text updates about where everyone is now. And when they get to the woman that Amy Adams is based on, Bev, there's something about the the way, the saccharine way that the Hans Zimmer score kicks into high gear when it says she's been sober for six years. Bullshit. It, it was so cloying and syrupy that it almost knocked a full half bone off for me. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> just there was something about it where I was just like, it was Ron Howard fumbling with my heartstrings and he was fucking it up and he missed. And I'm like, fuck you, Ron Howard. But then, <laughs> you know, I took a deep breath. I settled down, I backed away, but then I Shazam the song and I found out that the title of the Zimmer track is Steel in Our Veins, which on one level feels like the, you know, hackneyed work of like a random prestige soundtrack title generator. But on another level, like, don't you think it's more than a little tone deaf to even mention veins in a song title in a touchy-feely movie about heroin addiction. Agreed. Like, the heart's not talking to the head's not talking to the arms, not talking to the legs on that one. So I went back to my initial gut assessment. I knocked off a half bone, and that brings me down to one solitary hillbilly bone. That's all That's all I can do. That's the best offer I've got for them. For the hill people, because they respect their dead. <laughs> for the hill people, I give this bone. So I need to know from everybody, 
Are there going to be any nominations for this? Bishki already said no. No. I say Glenn Close gets the nom. What do you guys think? I'm talking think? about Oscars, though. I, it might get a Golden Globe. Yeah, I'm talking about Oscars. I'm only talking about Oscars, too. So what do you guys say? I feel I feel that Glenn Close will get nominated for Best Actress and Amy Adams will get nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Hmm. Really? No, because other way. They, the they, they submitted the it the way. other way. Oh, did they? Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like there's no competition. <laughs> like there's no competition. And if I know the Academy, they're all old white boomers that are like, wow, they, they look ugly. We got to give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see it happening. I think it's going to happen. Basically, I think I think you're overestimating the pool that they have to choose from. That's true. As far as what they're going to be nominating this year. I'm going Glenn Close gets the nomination. Amy Adams gets snubbed. It wins best makeup. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'd be happy. I could, with all I could of be that. on board with that. I think, I do think Amy gets snubbed. I think Glenn gets her eighth nom, but I don't think she wins. Lo- loses to the daughter in Borat. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> oh my God. Well, we went down to Kentucky and we. We came back with a with a small collection of broken little bones. Man. <laughs> Hats off to you, gentlemen, for making it all the way uh, through. Yeah. Bone shards. Oh, bone shards. Brother Lucas, enjoy your prestigious gift. I of will. Thank, Channel. thank you, Movie Lodge fam. Thank you, Lodgecast listeners. I, lo- I love you all. Love and light. Bleach your eyes out from this. I, I will, for sure, definitely. Love and light, guys. Love and light. Woo! Mamma. Mamma. Mamma.